This morning we're going to uh, uh, dig back into Philippians chapter 4 and we're going to try to go a little farther in our, in our series. Um, and it's really all about joy. This whole series has been about rejoicing and uh, having joy in the Lord. So uh, I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Uh, we're going we're to read verses 1 through 4. We'll put it on the screen for you, but I encourage you. Uh, bring your bring your written Bibles. I know uh, lots of you have converted to the uh, iPhones and the electronic Bibles, but uh, there's something kind of fun about marking your Bibles. I've been enjoying reading along with you and the entire church uh, through the uh, reading through the Bible in one year, and I hope that you've been doing that because it puts us all kind of on the same page. It looks something like this, and we have them back in the foyer. And I've been uh, just having a great time reading through and underlining uh, areas that just speak to my heart uh, as we're going through it again. And there's a whole lot in there about uh, praising the Lord and rejoicing in the Lord. And so I encourage you to do that. This morning, uh, I'm going to share uh, three three points. And I'll share briefly, but uh, we'll read the scriptures. But here, here are the three points that I want to focus on. And I know you, uh, I haven't checked the bulletin today, but I think every week nearly there's a little uh, place in there where it says, here, here are some things that I learned or some key points in the message or whatever. And you can jot these down. So here are three things. Rejoice, number one, rejoice that Christ is coming soon. Rejoice that Christ is coming soon. Secondly, rejoice as we help one another. Rejoice as we help one another. And then thirdly, rejoice that our names are in the book of life. Rejoice that our names are in the book or the book of life. Okay, so let's read Philippians chapter 4 and verses 1 through 4. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now you see why we started uh, with rejoice in the Lord always, because this is right from Scripture. We're singing Scripture. We're singing God's Word right back to Him, and it's a precious thing. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, the atmosphere that you have provided by, first of all, just being here. We thank you for the privilege to have corporate worship. We thank you, Father, for the many gifts that you've placed in this body of Christ. And I, I, I pray, Father, that um, we're not interested in outdoing anyone uh, by, by way of competition. But, Lord, let this continue and even more so be a place in Grant County that just sings and plays the words of God in the scriptures and the truths about our great God, that we sing them and we play them and we worship like no other place in this county. Lord, that we would pray that we would bring you that kind of pleasure, that that would be a sweet aroma into your nostrils in the heavenly places. Now, as we open the word of truth, uh, give us simplicity so that all ears can understand. Uh, give us application of heart, uh, such as to say, Lord, are you speaking to me today about this? 
help us to uh, understand that we all have areas where we need to grow, we need to improve, and we all have, thankfully, by your power and your strength, areas where we excel and where we have strength and we can be an encouragement to others. So help us, Lord, uh, to bring out the truth of your word. And Father, if there's somebody that's come into this place on this snowy Sunday morning that is troubled, that is discouraged, that is distressed, that is having a difficult time trying to find purpose and meaning in life, who do not know you in a personal way, who do not understand that you, Jesus, came and died in their place to cover their sin debt, and all you want is for them to say, thank you, and I need you. Please come into my life, and I want to live for you. Help that person and those persons, Lord, to have open ears today. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, first one, uh, rejoice that Christ is coming soon. You remember last week we talked about, he said, in this way, do these things. In what way? And we went back to chapter 3 and verses 20 and 21. And what we pulled from that is in this way, remembering these things, this is just a little quick review, keeping this thought in mind, remember that we're only temporarily here on this earth in this format. This is temporary. It's, sometimes it feels like it's all the life we have and that's how we think about it. But it isn't all the life we have. It's just the start to the life that we have if we have Christ in us. Uh, remember that Jesus is going to take all that's currently wrong in this world. All that is currently wrong in this uh, nation. All that is currently wrong in your family. All that is currently wrong and feels wrong in your marriage or in your friendship circle. All that is currently wrong that needs improvement in any church around the globe. Jesus is going to take all that's currently wrong and turn it into the good as only he can. Remember this as we're going through this study. Remember that Jesus has the power to change us and to change the world around us. And sometimes it takes a while. And some, because that's his timetable, and sometimes it happens quickly, almost in the twinkling of an eye. How many have had a prayer answered almost before you uttered it? God had, and you found out later on. You found out later on. When did that happen? Oh, that happened. And it's like, I was praying about that. And I hadn't even heard about it just yet. But I'm hearing about it and turns out, wow, that was fast. And sometimes God is that way. And sometimes God is very patient in his time and the way he works with us, and we need to be patient along with him. And then lastly, remember, in view of this, he's coming any day now. He's coming any day now. So where do we get that impression that Jesus is coming any day now? Where do we find that in God's word? Well, let's turn to Revelation 22, uh, verses 18 to 20. And listen to what it says here, that Jesus, this is to encourage us. We're coming here together corporately to worship and praise the saints of God, so to speak. And people that are knocking on the door, this is a spiritual hospital. Somebody said, come here to this church and maybe we could find some help for my life, some answers for the questions that I have or whatever. Anybody and everybody here, let's let's understand what God is telling us in his word about the fact, his timing of his coming. I testify, John the Revelator says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add him to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. <clears throat> he, <clears throat> excuse me, he who testifies to these things says, yes, this is Jesus. Yes, I 
am coming quickly. That's why I say that it's important for us to understand this is temporary. He's coming again. And he says, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Now, the word in that passage for quickly there is from the Greek word taku, T-A-C-H-U, taku. And in the book of Revelation, Jesus has quoted, used this at least six times, referring to his coming taku, or quickly, or soon. Now, keep this in mind. We need to understand that that taku, that quickly, does not mean immediately. Soon and immediately are two different things. And sometimes we get hung up on that. It means without undue delay. That's what taku means. Jesus says, I'm coming without undue delay. Could be some delay in there if it's due, if it's appropriate, if it's proper. But nevertheless, I'm still coming quickly. Keep that in mind. Well, one clue might be, uh, what, what's a, a reasonable delay? A clue could be, uh, something Peter told us about uh, time and about motive when it comes to God's timing to come and get us to take us to heaven. We sang one of the songs. Mark had us, one of those songs talked about one of these days this earth will melt like snow. We wish it would melt out there before we get ready to head home. This earth will melt. There will be a time when this is temporary. There will be a time when this as we know it is changed by the Lord Jesus. Look, Second Peter chapter 3 verses 8 to 9. Listen to what he says. Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing, pay attention to this one if you would, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Repentance means, God, I'm sorry about my, what, my lifestyle. I'm sorry about how I've lived. I'm sorry about things that came out of my mouth. I'm sorry about things I thought about that I thought nobody knew about, but I guess you did. I'm sorry about places I went. I'm sorry about things I should have done that I sat, I sat on my thumbs and I didn't do certain things. I, I'm humbled by your holiness and your greatness and your majesty and your glory. And so I'm sorry, God, I, 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 I need to change and, and I want to change. And if you'll help me, I will change by the grace of God. This past week, I was told about four women through our Embrace Grace ministry who asked Jesus Christ to come into their hearts. Can we get a, come on, come on, that's good. Rejoice in the Lord always. We rejoice. Uh, maybe some of them are here. I know they would have been invited. Maybe some came to overflow. We're, we're hoping to get them into the life of the church now that they have uh, been given the opportunity to hear about the gospel, the good news, that Jesus died for our sins and that he will come into our lives and he will change us and heal us and help us and strengthen us and take us to heaven one day. That's a tremendous thing. Have you thought about this? Uh, if Jesus had returned... Uh, February the 1st, uh, they would have missed that tremendous opportunity to know Jesus as their Savior because it just happened. We rejoice that he's coming quickly, even though it does not mean immediately. And so what would be an appropriate reason that there would be some delay in the quickly? 
and that would be that none should perish. Amen? Amen? So we see that. But wait a minute. What about something else Jesus told us about his coming? First Thessalonians. Listen to this. This is a, this is a different wrinkle here. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 to 18. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. In other words, died. People who put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they died before Jesus came. For the Lord himself, verse 16, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ, in other words, people who are saved, who've given, who have given their hearts and lives to Jesus, and who have invited him to be their Savior, uh, those, the, the, the dead in Christ will rise first. They'll be the first ones up, out of the grave. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And so we shared some of that thought in a memorial service just this past week for one of our dearest friends who's now in the presence of the Lord. But he will be raised and out of that grave before we get to meet Jesus in the air when Jesus comes for his church. Now, it's an interesting uh, thing here. You can, you can do your reading, and many of you have. You, you've studied it. You're, you're bright people. You know how to get on the Internet and poke around and find out different things. And so I encourage you to look at it. But I want you to understand, my experience has been this, that scholars have tipped the meaning of this passage one way or another over the years. And uh, th- there's been some confusion. Uh, and sometimes uh, people have looked at uh, this Jesus coming and catching up the dead in Christ first and those who are saved, who are alive, then uh, to meet him in the air. Uh, it, it's been twisted in different ways. Let me just say how I understand this. And then you, you study it and see what you say. The first coming of Christ. I, I want to talk about three comings. The first coming of Christ was as a baby, and we celebrate that with Christmas. Amen? That's the first coming of Christ. Then there is a second coming, which will be when Jesus, if we understand the scripture right, when Jesus comes and hovers over the earth. It's like the airplane, you know, it doesn't touch down on the runway. It's, it's hovering around the city. It's, it's, it's hovering around over the earth. Hovering, not a touchdown. And while he's hovering, he, 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 you say, how can he do this? Well, because he's God. He, he causes everybody that, was, that died who trusted Jesus to come out to their spirit and their body out of the grave and come and they meet him in the air. And I would say, we'll say well, what about all the Old Testament people before Jesus? Well, did Jesus die for the sins of the whole world? Huh? Did he? Yes or no? Okay, so then the sins of the Old, the Old Testament people who were following the covenant law, the Jewish law, and making all those sacrifices, aren't you glad we don't have to do all those today? All, all of those folks who were doing everything they knew to do that God had said to do uh, to please Him and for their sins to be covered and the sin to be put on the animal and the animal be sent out away from the, from the people, from the city, from the, from the tabernacle, from the temple, or whatever... Uh, that wasn't the best way, but it was the only way they had. And I, I suspect that, that Jesus died for their sins too. And so they will be resurrected from their graves. They've been long since gone and joined with their spirit to meet Jesus in the air as well. That's what, that's what I think. 
And then there's a third coming. His third coming will be a touchdown. It will be a touchdown on this earth as we know it. Satan will be destroyed. This earth will be changed. It will, as the song said, it will be burned and and melt like the snow. And it will be reformed according to however Jesus wants it to be. And that's, that's the third coming. So, question, what happens on the earth after the true church is pulled out? In other words, the second, the second, the second uh, 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 arrival of Jesus, which is not a touchdown. It's not the end of the world. It is when he calls all the dead in Christ and those who have put their trust in him and those who are alive, who, who know Jesus. If it were to happen right now, right now, we would find out who truly knows Jesus in this room because you would disappear from this earth. And, and, and whatever's left behind has a period of time, and I don't have time to talk about that now, but there will be a period of time of great tribulation and strain upon this earth. So what happens after the true church is pulled out? Well, if you read the scriptures, it's not a pretty picture. It's difficult because of the presence and influence of Satan who is making his kind of last hurrah run against Jesus Christ. But... I, I believe that there is still opportunity, possibility, and the Bible teaches this and supports it, that people can still come to Christ during that period of time. We'll be gone. But people who, who weren't saved before we left will have an opportunity to be saved. Why? Because of the word of God. The word, the word some, some of that word is going to, it isn't all going to disappear. Some of that word is going to be reminded in people's hearts and minds. Yeah, I remember my dad was, or my mom and dad were telling me about these stories and I didn't buy into it. And now turns out they were right because they're gone. And so I remember what they said and they said something about this Jesus. And I need him in my heart, my life and whatever. And I believe that it's in some people's hearts and minds because of good teaching that went on. Even though they didn't receive it at the time. Or the word, the literal written word of God may be uncovered in archaeological digs or people stumble on it or they're digging the foundation for a city or for a building or whatever and they dig up the Bible <laughs> and they read it and they go, oh, where did this come from? And this is news to me. And, and, they, and so some people still have an opportunity to be saved during this very difficult period of tribulation and time, even though the true church is gone. So as near as we can tell, the rapture, we call it the rapture, the second coming that doesn't touch down, that catches up the church. We call it the rapture. You won't find that, you won't find that word in the Bible. But it's a word that means caught up, snatched up, snatched up. So as near as we can tell, the rapture or the catching up of the true church by Jesus, listen, could come at any moment before you and I get home. Before we hit the doors to lunch. The rapture, the catching up, the snatching away of Jesus coming. And all the dead in Christ rising first. And then those who are alive in Jesus Christ meet him in the air to be with him. And then we await for that third that third coming where he touches down. And we'll see what happens on this earth during that period of time with this great travail and trepidation. So... We rejoice for those of us. Uh, See, we sang the song, rejoice in the Lord always. So we rejoice for those of us who know Jesus as their Savior. And we pray 
and we witness like crazy to others so that they can join us and be with us forever with Jesus. That's point one. Okay? Now, number two. Are you all still with me? You okay? All right. Now, I realize that's a fast deal, and you've got to study on some of this stuff. There's all kinds of books written. And I'm never going to tell you that you have to understand everything the way I understand it, but I, all I know to do is to tell you how I understand it, because that's part of my challenge to be a shepherd and to try to speak appropriately about the meaning of the words that God has given us in his word. And there are a lot of folks uh, that uh, are very bright people. Uh, they score very well on the aptitude tests and the IQ tests, and they are, they are studious, and they deserve uh, to respect, they deserve to be heard. Uh, but there's no, to me, there's no value in someone studying something like the rapture or whatever so, so hard that they don't land anywhere, and they, they say something to this effect, um, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I can tell you what I think all the options are. I'm not going to tell you a whole lot about options. I'm going to tell you about what I think after years and years of reading it and studying it and trying to live it and and looking at other people's lives that I admire and see and whatever. This appears to be uh, a way to understand it with a mind that is, uh, as Jesus said, it's simple so anybody can understand it. Now, number two. We rejoice as we help one another. We rejoice. Why do we rejoice this morning? We come together in corporate worship and to gather together to study the Word of God. And we rejoice. We're happy. We have joy in our hearts. Why? Because we can help one another. We can help one another. I did not have to carry all of the preliminaries of this service myself. I can with God's help. I've done it many times with God's help. And I will do it again with God's help, anytime he wants me to. But there were a whole bunch of people that helped us this morning. There are a bunch of people that helped me today. And they started with the pre-service and Jack uh, kicking things off, the, a godly layman who's trying to help us prepare for worship and praise, and the bell choir, and the singers, and the, and the musicians, and, and uh, the folks that made the announcements and made us aware of different things. It's, just, it's, a, one, it's a joy to be able to help one another in the service uh, of the kingdom. And so in every true church of Jesus Christ, we know that there are going to be challenges. In every church of Jesus Christ, we know that there are going to be trials. We know there are going to be some troubles that come along. We know that there are going to be obstacles. We know from just living the life that oftentimes there is pain before there is gain. And on top of that, we know that sometimes... There is pain after the gain. Hello? It's all in there. And so Jesus said so. Say, where do you get that? Well, John 16, 33. Listen to what he says. These things, Jesus says, I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage. I, Jesus, have overcome the world. And so if you have Jesus... In you, the Jesus who has overcome the world, then you are not uh, uh, unable to, to please the Lord with your best efforts. 
and neither am I. I. I am able to do that, and you are able to do that with Jesus. So what did Jesus really want for the church? More than anything else in the world, what does Jesus really want for his church? As I read it, and as many others have read it, it's all in one word, unity. He wants his family, he wants his church to operate in unity, to be one. You say, well, I would expect you to say something like that because you're trying to keep all this thing together with the, el- the elders of the church, the board, and all these staff and everybody. No, I get that from John 17. Jesus talking here. He said, for their sakes, in John 17, 19, for their sakes I sanctify myself that they may themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me. This is Jesus talking here. And then he says, that they may all be what? That they may all, not some, not most, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. So by by the way we show oneness and unity in the body of Christ, we are uh, an expression to the world that, that Jesus really was sent by God, the Father, to save us. And it is by the expression of how we operate in oneness and in unity. So, if that's true, and I believe that it is, the most vulnerable spot to make an assault against the church, the health of a church, is in the area of its unity. It is the one place that the staff, it is the one place that the board, it is the one place that the teachers and the leaders in the life of any church need to be watchful of. It is in the area of unity in the body of Christ. I was watching a show yesterday on the Incas and what happened to the Incas. Anybody ever studied that? It's a fascinating study. And it said that the Incas had built in Cusco. We've had people that have been there, that walked those those places and seen these places that I was that I was looking at. And uh, it was a fortified place. I mean, it was a tremendous thing. But there were like forty thousand Incas who led, uh, a, like a I can't remember what the total was now. I wasn't paying attention. It was a whole bunch of people. Just a few leaders led a whole bunch of Incans, so to speak. But only it only took about 200 uh, of the uh, uh, conquistadors from Spain to overcome this whole race of people. How did that happen? Well, they brought horses. They, had, they didn't have horses. They brought guns. They didn't have guns. They, they brought certain weapons uh, that they used against the people. And ultimately, those 200 conquistadors literally wiped out the Incas. It's incredible. The, the disruption of this, this homogenous group uh, was affected by what they believe, archaeologists believe, was a low place in one of the walls. And that is where the conquistadors focused their energy. And that huge city was run over by not very many people and their horses. Okay, where am I going with this? Where am I going with unity in the body of Christ? Well, I've already talked about this subject 
before Christmas. So I'm not going to go over all of that. You can go back and pick up one of the DVDs if you want to. But these two ladies who are mentioned in, uh, in this passage of chapter 4, Yodia and Syntyche, Yodia and Syntyche, these two ladies in the church were apparently very strong women of faith. So I don't want you to get the idea that somehow we had two radical women that caused all kinds of trouble in the church. These were two really good ladies, I believe. Uh, Why do I say that? Well, there's some evidence to suggest that these ladies may have actually been with Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he started the Philippian church. You remember they needed at least 10 men to have a synagogue and there weren't 10 men there. And so there was no synagogue where he could talk about the gospel and launch the church. So it says that he went outside the city along the river. Let me, in fact, let me just read it for us. And there, that's Acts 16. And from there to Philippi we sailed, and which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled there. To the women. Some have suggested that Yodia and Syntyche may have been in the, in the company of those women. These are solid women. In the life of the church. And they're out there by the river. I th- some say it's the river Crenides. The Crenides River. If you get, get on the map and you can Google it up and whatever. And you can see probably where Paul met with some of the women. And it's a tremendous thing to think about Paul sharing the gospel with, with women. And maybe Yodia and Syntyche were two of, the, two of the women that were there. Have you ever seen videos of a person trying to walk their dogs? You say, you just jumped ship, you just changed lanes. Yes, I did. I want you to stay with me for just a moment. Many people have more than one dog. How many people have more than one dog as a pet? Okay, there's, there's several hands that went up. <laughs> it's an interesting thing that can happen when you're taking your dogs for a walk, especially if you don't weigh very much. You know where I'm headed, don't you? One dog sees a squirrel this way, the other dog sees the cat this way, and you don't weigh very much, and what happens to you in the leash? I mean, I clicked on some stuff. I didn't want to put it on here, but uh, waste our time. But I, I saw one where people, somebody was driving down this country road and just had to have their video camera on. And, and over to the left, you see this St. Bernard dog running across the street. And so you're thinking, hey, I'm a driver. I see this dog headed for the street, so I better be careful, better slow down because there's a dog cross. I don't want to hit it and hurt it and all that sort of thing. But right behind the dog was a leash with a person attached to it. And the dog drugged the person clear across that country road. I mean, it could have been run over, honestly. And I saw, I saw ladies that lots of times the ladies are the, you know, way the, le- the least and, and they're out there walking the dogs. And I saw one lady, the dog drug her over into a lake. Uh, I, I've just seen all kinds of crazy things happen when a willful dog or dogs went in different directions. The distraction that that does to a dog walk is not unlike the distraction that happens in any organization and especially in the church of Jesus Christ because the devil hates the church and he hates you for being at the church and, so, and he hates unity and he hates it when we're all moving in the same direction. Uh, he hates that. So any way he can disrupt unity in the body of Christ, he will do that to create chaos. And sometimes, uh, listen to me well, this is about the church universal. When I'm talking, when I'm teaching from the word, 
This isn't always just about, oh, he's talking about Lakeview. Well, I might be. We're, we're part of the church of Jesus Christ, but I'm talking about the church in general. Sometimes really good people need help in learning how to compromise. Sometimes really good people, like let's just assume Yodia and Syntyche were there hearing the gospel for the first time. And Paul said, man, these two ladies are tremendous. Man, once we get this church rolling, they're going to help be the leadership of the church to help make this thing really cook with gas, so to speak. Most of the things that cause division in the life of the church are not over doctrine. They're not over these weighty matters that are, that are important enough that we should take a stand. I mean, we have, we have denominations in our culture in America right now that have been meeting and will probably continue to meet and are discussing doctrinal truths that should not even be being discussed. And that's the culture in which we live. Sometimes really good people get off of the meter. And sometimes they get pulled by the leash. Or sometimes the dog pull, pulls and, and, and disrupts the flow. And uh, uh, these two ladies, I believe, were good women. And I believe that they had a difference of opinion about something. Paul doesn't tell us what he, I wish he would tell us what it was. So we could say, hey, don't ever do that. But he didn't say what it was. He just said they, they had very strong feelings that were different from each other's opinion. And so Paul said, Paul saw this and he said, this is not good in the life of the church. He didn't even talk about the issue. He just said, it's not good for unity to be disrupted like this. So he said, Clement, and we don't know anything about who Clement is. We don't know. But he said, Clement, you get in there and you do. He's saying, I don't want to go talk to them. I don't want to get chewed up and spit out. He said, no, you get in there and you try to help them resolve this difficulty. And he said, and there are some others in the life of the church that also need to help you, Clement. Why? To preserve the unity. He didn't even talk about who should win and who should lose. Maybe both of them were wrong. Uh, Who knows? We don't know. But he said, tell them, knock that off. Here's why. The unity is more important than whatever the thing is you feel strongly about. That process promoted the unity that Jesus wants in the body life of his church. Now, these two godly, likely great women in the life of the Philippian church, look what happened. They probably, if they are as good a women as what we believe they were, even though they meant well, look what happened. They got documented in God's book for all of eternity as being two strong-minded individuals who had a disagreement and it threatened the unity in the life of the church. And, and, and God had their name, gave them their names. He said, these are the two that did it. They're, I love them. They're going to be in heaven with me. They helped start the church. They helped make the church. But they got off on a tangent. And you guys get in there and try to help them uh, flex a little. And let's figure this thing out. So, so let's rejoice when we have an opportunity to help a brother or a sister. This isn't just about gender. This isn't about the women. It's about anybody that threatens the, the, the unity in the body of the church. So let's rejoice when we have an opportunity to help a brother or a sister who are having relational issues. Or some, 
sometimes a temporary poor attitude about something or something worse that the enemy of the church could use to pull the church this way or pull it this way. And really, maybe God doesn't want to go in either one of those ways. Maybe he's got another option that he wants us to take a look at. You know, the sad thing is, uh, there are set, we studied this. This is a series. You, you can pull this up in our, on our files. That we have studied the seven churches of Revelation. You remember when, some of you have been around here. Remember when we did that? And you think about the church at Ephesus. It abandoned the love that it had at first. The church at Smyrna was warned about uh, facing persecution and not caving in. The church at Pergamum was told to repent because it had fallen prey to to false uh, teachers and the Nicolaitans. And you can study about the Nicolaitans, heretics who, t- who taught that uh, since their bodies were evil, only what they did with their spirit counted. And it led to sexual immorality and all kinds of things in the life of the church. And the church at Thyatira had false prophetesses who were leading the people astray. And the church at Sardis had the reputation of being dead and asleep and asleep and apathetic and sitting on their thumbs. And Thyatira said... Uh, no Sardis I'm sorry Uh, wake up stop sleeping at the switch repent and he said otherwise your names won't be listed in the book of life Philadelphia they endured patiently and Jesus wants us to endure patiently and Laodicea oh my goodness lukewarm faith all all, these seven churches I mean they didn't get they didn't get a really good report he said watch church watch out for this kind of stuff And here are Jesus' words again. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, Father, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Wow. So let's let's pray about unity in the body of Christ. And let's pray and be willing to step up and help those who sometimes, it's easy to get off on a tangent, especially if you have leadership gifts, especially if you have discernment. And, and sometimes we get, we get these thoughts and ideas, and, uh, and I'll be the first to say it happens in my life, and I have to be careful about it. And that's why, that's why uh, God says that there is wisdom in the counsel of many, godly people. There's wisdom in the counsel of many. Okay, that's number two. Number three, rejoice that our names are in the book, the book of life. Rejoice this morning that we can help other people. Uh, Rejoice that we can promote unity. Uh, Rejoice that Jesus is coming back again. This is temporary and that we're all going to be, everything's going to be made right at some point in time. Now, thirdly, rejoice that our names are in the book of life. What book? The book of eternal life. I want you to notice Paul did not want to leave anyone's name out. Did you notice how that read? Did you notice how he he said, and and anyone else, anyone else that God knows who is truly saved, who is in Christ, make sure I don't leave any names out. Whether or not Paul got their name in the letter that we're reading, the letter to the Philippians, whether they got their name listed there or not is not Paul's main concern. His main concern is that their name is in the main book, the book of life. Amen? Amen? Hello? You out there? Okay. So the Bible speaks often about this book. You say, well, I didn't know about that much about this. What do you mean a, a book? God, does God need a book? I mean, doesn't he have things better than computers and all kinds of stuff? I believe it's symbolic. I, I, you know, God doesn't need a book. He knows everything. 
But so that we can, we can picture this in our minds. You're either you're in it or you're not in it. That, that's, I think, the point of having the book. You're either in it or you're not in it. If you think you're partway in it, you're not in it. If you hope you're in it, you're not in it. You need to know you're in it to be in it. And to have a witness of the Spirit to know that you know. Amen? And, and there's somebody sitting here thinking, that makes me nervous. I don't like hearing you talk like that. Well, that's because you don't know. And you need to think about what we're going to say about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ because that's how you know. Now, the Bible speaks in many places about this book business. Let me just show you one in the Old Testament. Exodus 32. You probably just read this. You probably just recently read this in your daily Bible reading. Exodus 32, 31 to 33. Listen to what it says. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has committed a great sin. What had they done? They made a golden calf. Remember while he was up on Mount Sinai, came down, and here's the calf, and they're dancing around the calf like crazy people. And they've committed great sin, and they've made a God of gold for themselves. But now if you will forgive their sin, this is Moses talking to God, so now if you will forgive their sin, if not, if you won't forgive their sin, then blot me out from your book which you have written. In other words, wow, take me out of the book. For their sake. Wow. The Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. So way back in Exodus, second book of the Bible, we see a reference to this book business that we're talking about. Let's go clear to the last book, Revelation chapter 20, John the Revelator. And he's telling us something about the book and the end times. Verse 12, or 11 and 12. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to to their deeds. If we read on, he says, And I saw the dead, the great and the small, as we said, standing before the throne. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And... If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So this morning, I want to say, that's sobering. But it isn't sobering to the people that have their name in the book. (laughs) That's rejoicing material for me. Amen? Amen? If you know that you know that you have Jesus Christ in your heart and in your life as your Savior, that you've humbled yourself... That you've come away, stepped away from yourself and the pride of self-determination and I can do this by myself and I can somehow, you know, make this all work out right. Or people are wrong. God's really not going to send anybody to, that's not what it says. He is going to judge and he's going to judge on the basis of everything that he has recorded. You know, whether he has a physical book or not doesn't really matter. It's okay if it is. I picture it that way. And he opens up the book 
And he goes, oh, is Tim in there? Look down the MCs. Look down at the MCs. Somebody check it. Tim, Mothy, Jack, McClellan. Make sure Jack's in there because there's lots of Timothy McClellans somewhere around the world. Timothy, Jack, McClellan from Marion, Indiana. Is, is this the right guy? Yep, he's in there. I'm going, yes. <laughs> yes. I don't ever have to face that again, ever. The judgment's done. I said, get in there. Get in there. Forever. Be with me forever. That's a cause for rejoicing this morning. This is not a cause for alarm, but it's a cause for sobering consideration if you don't have that knower in your knower. We rejoice this morning that Christ is coming soon. Quickly. Not immediately, but quickly. We rejoice this morning that we have the opportunity to help one another along and to help promote the unity that we need to see in the body of Christ. And we rejoice that our names are in the book of life. Now let me just simply say to you, if you're saying, I I don't know if my name is in there. Because if you're an honest broker, you've asked yourself this question. And I, I provoked it. And I did it on purpose because we want you to go to heaven. God desires not one to be lost or to perish. Your name is already written there if your name is in this book. As I understand God's word, your name is in the book if you have said to God, you know you have sinned and come short of his will for your life. If you know that, if you agree. Your name is in the book if you have humbled yourself before him. And ask for forgiveness. Your name is in the book if you have asked Jesus to be your Savior. So that his death on the cross could pay your debt of sin. Your name is in the book if you have a witness in your heart that you have sold out to Jesus. And you are making him Lord of your life. And so let me just pause for a moment right now because there's likely someone listening to this on the internet or someone right here in this room that wants to do something about that. And you haven't and you know it. So let's bow our heads for just a moment. Now, Heavenly Father, I I have not spent a lot of time uh, trying to explain all of this, but uh, I, I tried to get to the heart of it. And if there are some folks here this morning or some folks that are listening online and they don't have the witness of this in their heart and they have not humbled themselves before you and they have not asked you, Jesus, to be their Savior and they have not trusted that what you did on the cross was payment for their sins and they, they want to say, God, forgive me, I am a sinner and I need help and I just I don't know how to make this life work right. I pray in the name of Jesus that they would ask Christ to come into their heart right now. Just mentally. God hears your prayer. God knows what your mental thoughts are. And just say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I want to go to heaven. I want my name in that book. And when you do all the judging, I I want to know that the judgment I deserve for all of the things recorded about my life are forgiven because of what Jesus did for me. And I, I'll do my best. I got a lot of changing and cleaning up to do. But I'll do my best to follow you. And I'll try to get in a church of Jesus Christ. Maybe this one. And learn and grow. And trust you until you come for your church. 
I invite you to be my Savior today. In Jesus' name, amen.